passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And we... Are live, everybody. Welcome to this week's Cafe Hangout. I'm John Pollock, along with Wei Ting, and thank you for tuning in live for all of our patrons. And here we are, trying to outsmart technology to come at you for the next hour plus. It's it's been a an ongoing war, and um, sad to say we definitely lost last week, uh, but. Every game is a is a fresh start. Yeah, this is very much uh, the, I would say, the 94 Bulls, where I'm left on my own here. Uh, while, while Jordan is off here uh, at his home, uh, here I am just trying to lead the team in Jordan's absence. Well, thankfully, uh, Jordan is on the line here uh, in the form of Wei Ting, but it's tough on this end, Wei. I'm, I'm trying to figure out this stuff, and this is... This is not my domain. This is not anything. I don't even have the area code, much less can claim this as my domain of figuring this stuff out when it comes to drivers, to goddamn tripods that rattle. Uh, just a mess. No, it's uh, it, listen, like when it comes to a lot of these things, it's like there are issues that pop up that you just don't expect. And like John was all set to go with like another camera right now. And like moments before the show, all of a sudden, like there's this like mysterious rattling from something. We have no idea what, and it's impossible, pretty much, for me to like try to problem solve from this end because I, I like without being there and testing it myself, I have no idea what's going on. Um, but ultimately, we just have to resort back to you know our usual, for, um, uh, you know, less less than stellar quality image. But it's something that we're constantly working on, and I hope you guys will be entertained by the results either way. All this trouble for people to see my face, which is kind of a kind of a fruitless effort. But here we are, uh, me in my pixelated form. Um, we'll, we'll find out. We'll see what I look like by the end of this. I might be a logo with the letter S. We'll find out. Uh, but here, here's hoping. What could go wrong? Uh, but how are you, Way? I'm doing okay. Yeah. Uh, the moment we right before we stepped onto air, actually, we there's a, a little bit of late breaking news. Right at this point, three o'clock in the afternoon on uh, Thursday, with the release, the announced release of Curtis Axel, 
Yeah, a pretty lengthy explanation here from WWE that does get to the root of this all. Do you have a second? Should I read this whole thing? Yeah, sure. WWE has come to terms on the release of Curtis Axel. We wish him all the best in his future endeavors. That was about as succinct of a of a release as I think we'll see. Not even taking advantage of all the characters in a tweet. No, uh, plenty of characters to spare. Um, as many as this man portrayed during his time uh, with this company, from uh, Joe Hennig to Michael McGillicuddy to uh, Curtis Axel, the B-team version, the multiple versions of Curtis Axel. This is a guy that had been in that system for 13 years when he signed his developmental deal and went to Florida and then called up. And we remember back in 2013, that was the time that they gave him the most I guess, significant push. That's when he uh, did adopt the the Curtis Axel name. You'll remember he was paired with Paul Heyman. And it was all pretty much, you know, he had that brief uh, program with Hunter and just really went nowhere after that. They did the Rybaxel gimmick with him. Just a lot of things. The B team that maybe had like a very short shelf life, but nothing that truly uh, caught on. I guess the deeper story way is, is this just a extra cut or is this indicative that there are going to be a handful of these uh, two weeks removed from the mass uh, layoffs and furloughs? You know, this one kind of being on its own at the moment suggests to me that it might be the start of maybe another line. I, I, I don't really know the circumstances surrounding this one. I mean, it's hard to imagine that anybody would be specifically asking to be released right at this moment. Um, but are they granting now releases perhaps to people that might have asked for them prior? I, I, I'm i not entirely sure what the thinking is. Uh, but I, I personally do expect that we'll hear a few more names. So um, Joe Hennig, he's, he's 40 years old. And that's, you know, for a guy that, you know, he has been in that WWE system his entire career. Like it was pretty much getting trained and then was almost immediately this was at the time when they were signing up, you know, second and in this case, third generation performers in uh, mass. And he was one of them and seemed like, you know, a guy that was, you know, popular amongst those that, that worked with him, but never really got past a certain point with, you know, a, a varying degree of focus that he received during those 13 years would not have been a surprise had he been thrown into the names uh, two weeks ago. But the fact that this is happening two weeks later um, yeah, it just makes you question, is this going to be isolated or could we see a slew of them? Certainly one of the focus of all of these cuts was what what is the future of NXT UK? Um, they do have their deal now on BT Sports, so they are on broadcast television. But what is the future of these global brands for the company? Um, because you can't imagine they are going to be pushing forward to the extent that they were a year ago when that was one of their big objectives that they were laying out to to everybody when they were doing the um, the shareholders conference and talking about global localization. Like, I just can't see that kind that level of investment and what becomes of an NXT UK. Yeah, um, it's hard to imagine that they will be venturing out to too many other territories at this point, given, you know, their cost cutting measures. But at the same time, um, I I feel like. NXT UK, I don't know really what types of contracts those guys are on, but it, it seems pretty notable how we haven't really heard any of those particular cuts yet. Uh, I imagine that they they will still go ahead with the project and 
you know, it feels like a lot of the cuts we are hearing about are guys that they don't necessarily see that future potential with. Um, guys that, you know, really are, I think at this point, either not on TV too much anymore or are kind of relegated to comedy gimmicks. And uh, that NXT UK to me, I, I feel like is almost like a different situation. Yeah. Um, we're going to chat about a uh, number of topics on this show and we'll be opening up the, uh, the Skype line. If you want to search for post wrestling, you can Skype in. We'll be taking your calls and sticking around for the ratings from Wednesday night. And I did want to talk a little bit about uh, NXT from last night. Way any overall impressions on the show that's featured a Keith Lee and Damian Priest in the main event and uh, Drake Maverick getting his first win in the Cruiserweight tournament, as well as loading up next week's show. We're going to get two NXT title matches with Adam Cole, Velveteen Dream, and the big Charlotte Flair, Io Shirai match, as well as Johnny Gargano against Dominic Dijakovic. Finn Balor will be back on the show. Uh, they're, they're certainly gearing up for a pretty big episode next week, which would have been a tape this week. Yes, yes. I thought it was a pretty good show. You know, I, I wouldn't say there was anything that was, like, uh, mind-blowing that I think will stick with me all that long, but I thought it was... What a, about the newly bro show? Oh, yeah, that would stick with me for uh, quite a bit. I, th- um, I appreciate the attempt, but, again, I think one of the toughest things to do at this point in this sort of empty arena setting is comedy. Um, it's, a, it's a different case. Like, we saw on AEW, for instance, the Britt Baker stuff, I thought was some of the best things they've done. The bubbly bunch I thought was fantastic itself, but when you try to do comedy in an empty arena in that type of uh, show, even with the laugh track that they decided to add to that segment, I thought it, for me, it kind of died a pretty miserable death. Pretty ballsy, I think, to go the laugh track route. I think Matt Riddle gets a lot of latitude that he can get away with with a lot in the comedy direction. Um Byron Saxton to me was trying his best to like Jeremy Borash would shine in those roles when they would have him host those kinds of segments like the feast or fired segments and such. Um, it, it was a novel attempt to try mm-hmm. something completely different, which I am. I'm not going to like I, I think NXT at times it's and this could be uh, across the board at times in, in WWE is just such a, NXT would be at the highest of just such a reliance on in-ring that I'd like to see them trying something different, even if it didn't completely land. Absolutely. You know, I, I do appreciate the attempt at, you know, if, uh, trying to drag a bit more personality out of the team. To me, those are going to be your difference makers uh, rather than just, you know, great, incredible in-ring performances. You kind of need both. Um, I I also enjoyed the continuation of the Drake Maverick storyline. Um, it really, you know, as this continues, I really do have a tough time thinking that he wouldn't be retained at the end of all this from a storyline perspective why would you be getting rid of drake maverick over tony nice uh uh it's it's a great question I, tony nice is like knocked out of this he's zero and two he's yeah advance that's true well i mean the, I, the story is that he's already been released right and that he's just so, i guess if he does well the story is that he will keep his job is that it well, the idea is if he becomes this champion, then they've got to keep him. Right. They're not going to they're they're not going to get rid of a guy holding the championship. Um, yeah. To me, it's I think this would come across so much different if it was, again, with, with an audience like rallying behind this guy and really getting into this story in this. Um, it, it's just tough. There's so many stories that I think you just you're cut off at the legs because of 
the limitations of of doing this kind of storytelling without uh, an audience with it. They also tried the experiment of having Tom Phillips there live while Moral Ronaldo and Beth Phoenix called the show remotely. How did you feel it worked? Uh, because that was certainly, you know, m- making it more difficult than it had to be to incorporate Moro and Beth Phoenix. I, I really love to know like what, you know, technically how, how something like that works out. I think considering everything, I thought it came across pretty well. Like it, it felt pretty seamless. The, like the, the fact that they, it felt like they were there, but although you never saw them, I think there were maybe a couple instances where I thought maybe Morrow and, and Beth might've stepped over each other a little bit, perhaps more than usual. Yeah. But, but overall, I mean, I was really happy to hear Morrow's commentary again on that show. Uh, Beth as well. I, I, I would say overall it came across pretty well. I, th- I think that uh, Morrow added a lot to calling Drake Maverick's win and really putting over how important it was for him as well. So, I mean, it was uh, to me just the logistics of that, like that, that's pretty tough as opposed to, well, we've got Tom and Byron here. Let's just go with one less headache in this whole thing. But they, they went out and I think it was a experiment worth taking. And that'll be interesting. That's something we have not seen AEW attempt. And mm-hmm. for next week, um, on the post show, Excalibur was it, it seems like Excalibur is is definitely going to be there next week because he was talking about that there would be on site testing um, next week. And mm-hmm. you kind of got the impression that Jim Ross and Taz would be there, too. But they didn't outright say that. I've only seen the clip of Excalibur mentioning this testing. But uh, Excalibur was saying that alleviated a lot of his concerns. So that tells me Excalibur would be there next week. Uh, but something that. They have not tried the the remote commentary, which to me would be it's one thing to have Moro calling it solo, both of them and three locations. Like, I, I just think that would be really hard to pull off. Yeah. Also depends, you know, how often shows might be going live. Like AEW, we know next week will be going live. Mm-hmm. And is this technology, you know, something that you could do for a live show as opposed to, you know, something you can probably do much easier with something taped? Uh Final thing on NXT, how did you feel about uh, Johnny Gargano as Candice LeRae's hype man? I I liked it. I thought, I thought you know, I think like this Candice heel character has p- sort of been like bubbling for quite a bit, um, you know, and shelved for uh, a period of time. But now I think we're starting to actually see it. Uh, I think it's a fresh coat of paint for her. It's a bit of a fresh coat of paint for Johnny Gargano as well. You can definitely argue it's, you know, it, it it definitely feels temporary for Gargano because he, he certainly would be destined for, you know, a bit more than just, you know, to, to be somebody's manager. But I think for the time being, Candice appears to be your project, you know, somebody that you want to raise up to a, 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 a top heel level within the division. And I, I like the pairing. The best kicking foot in this sport and also an acceptable form of birth control. Oh, geez. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I won't be trying that one. Um, so that was um, that was NXT. I, I thought a um, an average show. I, I haven't been all that into NXT at, at, at times during this empty arena phase. But I do think like next week's show, in particular, the Charlotte Io Shirai match. I'm really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlotte and Mia Yim. It got a little it, it took a while for it to get going. I thought it was. But by the end, um, I just thought Charlotte really shined in that match uh, during that closing stretch and getting into the near falls. And I think that Charlotte has done very well in these formats with the Rhea Ripley match at WrestleMania. And 
I do like her in this role um, with NXT that I think it's showcasing just how uh, well-rounded and key to this entire women's division in WWE that, that Charlotte is the, the nucleus of. Part of me is a little surprised that she's going through all the competitors like in such, I, I think, you know, such a quick succession of weeks, you know, like soon she'll pretty much have like defeated all the baby faces. And at that point, you basically, you know, do the, the, the Ripley rematch and then you just kind of send Charlotte off. It kind of feels like they're they're uh, moving along with with her her NXT rivalries quite quickly. But I mean, I thought Flair versus Yim was like a good TV match. Same, same thing. I kind of felt about Keith Lee versus Damian priest. Both matches I thought were, were good. Um, but my expectations for Charlotte Flair versus Io Shirai will certainly be at a takeover level. Okay. The, the cringiest moment was when Damian priest gets the nightstick mm-hmm. and Keith Lee stops him and just stares a hole into him. I am limitless. It's like, dude, in this, a re- empty arena it just like oh well this is their style right this is the Shawn michaels nxt style where it's like you you know do your storytelling like oh my god like almost like a comic book where you have like you know big panels of like um dialogue um i think often it works but didn't for you this time uh, not there and not when Tony Nese snapped Drake Maverick's uh, neck on the top rope and he turns around to the crowd and just uh, gestures. Look, it's just so interesting to see like what the what the uh, reactions are and, you know, almost the ones that still play to the crowd. Like that's not like a week one thing. It's here we are week seven and there's still instances of this, whether that's just it's drilled into you or it's just that is the that's what they're obviously trying to do. Uh, I don't know which, which you can uh, blame it on, but anyway, it's interesting to watch some of uh, the different performances throughout these uh, empty arena shows. Um, Moving on. uh, I wanted to chat a little bit about um, the television ratings that I kind of uh, dove into on Wednesday on the site, looking at how the, now that we have, you know, six to seven weeks of shows uh, from raw SmackDown, NXT and AEW, where they are versus the weeks prior to the empty arena shows. And what I was able to see here is that raw has dropped about 13% during this time. First um, NXT and AEW uh, very similar. We have uh, NXT that is down 14% and AEW down 13%. So we're looking at all pretty similar declines. The at least outlier up until the past two weeks was SmackDown that during this whole period is only down five and a half percent. But the last two weeks, we have seen dramatic drops for SmackDown, where they have just done their back to back lowest numbers since launching on Fox last October. And if we see this trend continue of uh, two million or so viewers, they're quickly going to get to that same 13, 14 percent drop. So this many weeks in way, um, if I were to tell you at the beginning of this phase that you're probably going to lose 13, 14% of your audience. Is that like a reasonable expectation? Is it higher or lower than what you thought based on the first week or two of what these settings would have uh, in terms of an impact on your audience? You know, if you asked me at the beginning of this, I think I would have um, felt like that was a little high, especially if you were to tell me that wrestling was the only, you know, basically new sporting attraction that, that was still out there. Part of me would have certainly assumed that people, for lack of anything better to watch, would just decide to watch wrestling, even in its empty arena form. But that certainly doesn't prove to be the case, because it's not only is it having trouble acquiring new fans, it's 
it's running off its ex- existing audience too. Um, 14, 13%. Uh, it really is interesting to me, like to see that number basically, you know, be pretty constant at this point across the board. And the challenge, of course, will be to try to get these people back and then some after all this is done and to make sure that the bleeding does not exceed beyond 13, 14%. Well, that's it. It's not like we're just hitting these numbers, uh, like at least for Raw and for SmackDown, we're we're seeing decreases. I feel like AEW and NXT, I don't see too much fluctuation beyond this point. AEW was actually up a bit last week. NXT and AEW, I, I don't see going much lower than this. But again, if we're looking at six more months of empty arena shows, you, you can't really judge where things are going to be at that point. What is also notable is with these UFC shows coming up and as all these other sports leagues are trying to come up with ways to try and get back to play, you know, I I'm hearing that same uh, thought process that is completely logical on paper that people are starved for games and for live content that people are going to be watching in droves. And, you know, we have the benefit of seeing pro wrestling put out in this and the common denominator has been one to two weeks of the novelty effect and then a big decrease. And I look at major sports and the arguments in favor would be that I think it's less contingent on the fan experience, but that is part of the viewing experience. We don't watch these games on mute. It's definitely compromising the experience. And these aren't going to be in small warehouses. They're going to be potentially in 18,000 arenas that are empty. And I think it's going to be very similar that the first week or two, yes, people will be tuning in to the NBA or the NHL. But by week three or four, I'm not as confident that numbers are going to be all that high once people are tuning in and watching these very empty shows. Um, Mm -hmm. Any thoughts from yourself on like how how sports may differ from professional wrestling? Well, again, like uh, I kind of look at sports in in, in a bit of a different way in that I don't necessarily watch sports just for overall um i mean i don't really watch sports but i'm saying like in the times that i do watch sports i'm more i'm more attached to the the result of sports rather than you know the watching like i watch wrestling like i would watch a fictitious tv show i'm looking for you know a bit of entertainment throughout the entire process making sure that you know the the storylines are good making sure that you know the individual wrestling moves and and little moments in between are, are interesting whereas for me sports always holds a higher priority in my mind attached to the end result. And for that reason, I, I look at crowds meaning a bit less for my personal enjoyment. If in the moments that I do watch sports and I'm kind of curious to know, like will sports have that kind of communal aspect attached to it that obviously wrestling right now doesn't seem to really have, it doesn't really seem to like, you know, be too much of a conversation for people, certainly outside of our circles, but you know, let's say sports when, especially when you get to the playoffs, and, and, you know, uh, games that actually matter, will it attract, you know, more conversation from people? Will it feel like it, it's more of a group thing that you can do the way that we're watching, you know, Tiger King, for instance? Yeah, I I do feel that this UFC card next weekend will do very well, especially the ESPN uh, portion, which has Donald Cerrone. Like, it's a loaded, loaded card that they have. And being their, their first card uh, back since March, um, I think that's... That one's going to do really well. And then the ensuing shows on that Wednesday and Saturday, uh, that is kind of more up for debate of how how many people are going to be tuning in for that. But you're right. Like it is centered around the result. 
But that said, I mean, go back to any classic sports moments and watch them without a crowd or without sound. And is that going to wear on people? I think it will, but we're, we're ultimately going to see. And, um, that that's going to be something that maybe people are not taking into account is just getting onto television. What is the compromised experience going to be, uh, for fans that as like right now you have so many, you do have a lot of options like on Netflix, there's a million things to watch, but there's only been one tiger King so far. And for documentaries, there's only been one last dance. And that means, you know, quality is going to, um, be, a big part of this as well. Mm. Uh, I guess Tiger King, you can debate uh, quality versus car crash, but nonetheless, like these are things that people attach themselves to, but it's not like just having the ability to broadcast means that you're going to have an audience for it, or at least a large one. So that, that to me is the big test. Um, once we get to uh, live sports, going back to wrestling, do you expect the 13 to 14% to, to change over time? Because let's also remember much of these numbers that you, you had, by the way, everybody, you can find all, all, all of John's research in the um, uh, yesterday's update, the Wednesday update. Uh, but a lot of these numbers came during what you would consider to be WrestleMania season. Yeah, I mean, and we've seen the, the decline since. I like SmackDown seemed to be OK up until uh, the last two weeks. And what did SmackDown have that other shows didn't? I mean, you have to look at, you know, Raw and WrestleMania, uh, Raw and SmackDown had the WrestleMania build, but SmackDown had pretty regular appearances from Roman Reigns, from Bill Goldberg. Uh, John Cena showed up a few times. Uh, you take those out of the equation. Do you think that has played a factor in SmackDown um, decreasing over these last couple of weeks? I would think so. Yeah. I mean, it's that coupled with, I think just the, the lack of uh, the lack of relevance, you know, attached to things that aren't attached to the, to the WrestleMania name uh, money in the bank. I think they're trying their best, but it, it is certainly, you know, far far below the list of priorities compared to WrestleMania especially for a casual fan. Yeah, I as as we've moved through this build up to money in the bank like I I do feel the concept of this ladder match is a is a really good one. Mm. I think it's got people's curiosity that it's something different. It's way more interesting to me than doing this in the in the performance center as a ladder match that we've seen at this point uh, a couple times over that it's got a curiosity element to it. So I think that that was a good idea, but is that going to generate a whole lot of interest? Because they're also playing with that huge figure of free subscribers that to me, you want to have something very attractive for this Money in the Bank show to keep those free subscribers on past mm -hmm. WrestleMania. So like I would say this Money in the Bank show does mean um, it, it. it's certainly meaningful for the for the company because of that that big figure of uh 400,000 plus free subscribers that you had for WrestleMania. Totally, totally. And as it exists, does the card look attractive enough to you outside of that concept? I mean, what I mean by that is like they, they could definitely, you know, try to create an attraction with a brand new match type. But do you see them? Is the star power high enough for a show like this? And is that something I think that, that they'll be struggling with in the weeks to come? I think your, your interest in the show completely lies in the um, the the headquarters match. I think that's the only thing that is going to make any kind of difference in this show. If this show does well, I put all of the attention onto that match. And if it does poorly, I put it on that match. I think that is the key number one uh, decision maker for people. If they want to see that specific match, the other title matches, I don't think do a whole lot for people with, uh, with Drew and Seth with Braun and Bray Wyatt and uh, the rest of how this card fills out. So 
Uh, It's a test. They did get a lot of positive word of mouth from these concepts at WrestleMania. They were the talking points. And do people have enough curiosity that watched that show that did see these in practice to want to stick around for another month and and, and see this show? Let's uh, open up the phone lines right now, John. Are you cool with that? Yeah, let's uh, let's open them up. So So. you can search for us on Skype by searching for post wrestling and we will get you on uh, whenever you call in. And just to to let you guys know, part of the problems we had last week was when I think I I put too many people on hold and that seemed to freeze up the whole system. So I'm only going to have one person perhaps on hold at a time. So if you have to try to keep calling in and you're getting a busy signal or you can't get through, please keep trying. I'll try to get to as many calls as we can by the end of the show. Wait, is that a ukulele or is it a guitar? behind you it is your, a ukulele it's a ukulele yes wow. i do I, I have a guitar here as well though yes is it just for show or do you play the ukulele I, i'm more of a guitarist but like I, I have a ukulele that i got in japan a couple of years back um i i mean I, I dabble in it a little bit but not nothing really i would i would not classify by myself as a as a seasoned ukulele player at all no oh, well learn learning things as we progress how about you, John? Any uh, any plans on perhaps like acquiring a new skill or a hobby during this downtime? Oh dear, uh, am I still here? You are still here. Oh, okay, yeah. we had a, we had a little hiccup there, but uh, my heart oh, sank. Okay, uh, my only skill I'm trying to uh, grow during this time is being technologically savvy. That is my <laughs> long term goal during this entire pandemic uh, to come out of this. And get a nod of approval from Way. Uh, the fact that we've lasted this long, I think you already have a very high nod of uh, nod of approval. I'm nodding right now. And caller, I would even nod uh, even bigger if you can hear us right now. And if you're on the line, are you there? I, I certainly can. Paul from New Jersey. Uh, wonderful. Wonderful. Welcome, Paul. Oh, thanks. And don't feel too bad, John. I'm 34 and my uh, four-year-old nephew is better at working YouTube and the TV than I am. So... You know, it just happens. But uh, I want to do a comment on um, I've been such a fan of Dark Side of Wrestling. I think it's been so amazing. And I don't know. I was watching the David Schultz one last night. And I just I I know, like, you can't go around hitting people, of course. But I really did not feel sorry for John Stoffel at all. I thought he was kind of being a little bit of a pest. And, like, you don't go to a magic show and, like, say, hey, this is on the up and up. And I just wanted to know if you guys uh, saw it and what you thought about it. I watched it. Yeah. Um. I don't just disagree with you at all. I mean, that that type of journalism is very, uh, I, I think, uh, antagonistic by nature. Um, at the same time, like, you know, do I feel bad for John Stossel? Not in the least, not at all. But was a man out of line for physically attacking somebody who, you know, you really can't, you really shouldn't. Ultimately, David Schultz was, was absolutely in the wrong, in my opinion. Yeah, that's kind of where I landed on it, whereas I didn't feel sorry for Stossel, but you can't go around hitting people. But um, I, the one thing that I, I just that left me so interesting about that is, um, you know, I, we love the old days of protect the business, protect the business. And when that guy Mansfield said, why am I going to protect a business that doesn't pay me health insurance and protect me? And that kind of made me think. But uh, yeah, I just I love the series and I encourage anyone to just check it out. I think it's wonderful. But uh, hey, guys, uh, hope all is well. and Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you, thank- Paul. Thanks, Paul. That that particular portion I found really interesting because of how relevant the conversation still is, you know, or or the the response at the same time. I mean, when that when that piece aired, it was Eddie Mansfield was public enemy number one in the industry for sharing these secrets and breaking the quote unquote code. 
And yet a lot of what he was talking about at the time was relevant then and is relevant now. And yet I think it's it's not so much. I mean, we still get those these silly debates about exposing the business today. But when it comes to meaningful discussion about actual change and putting money into the pockets of talent, that's something that it much like MMA. That's something that it's brought up way more often in the media than it is among the talent that publicly are not going to to delve into those topics, save for a very small number. And here we are 35 years later. And is the industry in a better place to be a performer, to make a living? Uh, I would say yes. But at the same time, it's an industry making more revenue than ever. And it's not like the talent has, uh, to me, a sufficient piece of that of that pie. No, no, not at all. Um, Neil... If you can unmute yourself, you're on the line. What's on your mind? Hello, guys. I hope you're in good form. Uh, you started the show tar- talking about a high-profile cut. Uh, and why Instagram stills aside, this is the first for YouTube viewers anyway, we've seen of Pauline's handiwork on your what? head. What? Oh, my <laughs> yes, yes, my haircut. Yes, yes. It's my... great. She did she, a fantastic job. Absolutely. You're not wrong. It's terrific. She's becoming quite the rising star of post-wrestling. And um, thanks to her for all her frontline work as well. And that goes for everyone who's on the front line, of course. And I hope there's something else for her ahead of um, uh, after Total Recall ends. Maybe you could go back to the very beginning of Total Divas and do the whole oh, run. Oh, God, that's a long process. <laughs> but um, thank, thank you, Neil. Appreciate that. What's on your mind? John, I find your analysis of the ratings fascinating. My, my understanding is that total TV viewing in the US is up lately, mostly driven by news. So it's it's interesting that there's no crossover at all from just, you know, more eyes in front of the screen. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm a bit surprised by the level of fall off in viewership. Um, also, a very good job, I thought, with the Moxley interview. I mean, I get the impression he's not the chattiest guy and perhaps not the easiest interview. And I think also when someone is, you know, out there to actively promote a project and you want to get something a little bit more, you know, I think you did a really good job with him. Uh, well, thank you. I mean, with, with Moxley, I, I've interviewed him multiple times and every time I've interviewed him, usually the end result is, you know, I, I've, I typically enjoy talking to to Moxley because I think that he, you know, he can very much be um, long winded when it comes to different answers. But there's a lot in there that you can uh, gain from it. Um, So, I mean, I mean, I was I was was happy with the interview. I thought there were some interesting points that uh, he brought up and such. But it's, uh, you know, he's a guy that will, you know, I I felt he was, you know, in fine mood and such like that. So I, I didn't have really any issues with it. Yeah, absolutely. No, a very good interview. Um, but now that I've got my customary compliments out of the way, I hope you won't mind if I give you just a little bit of constructive criticism for once. Oh, we would love it, actually. Uh, I promise it is constructive. John, um, I I just can't see your all-mint restaurant, mint condition succeeding. Um, I think the dessert menu particularly is going to suffer. Um and drinks, anything with citrus, as anyone who's had a sip of orange juice after brushing their teeth can attest, it, you know, problematic. I think you might get a few 
interested, sort of, you know, the, the curiosity factor for a week or two, but then it might drop off just like these empty arena shows. I actually very, very think, nice analogy. I actually think Sriracha are going to do an old Sriracha <laughs> restaurant run by way might be my might be more successful. I have Old an idea for some sort of, yeah, uh, make, uh, the makings of a good sitcom, I think. The two of you sort of with these two competing restaurants next door to each other. And Scathing just, criticism, Neil. I'm sorry. This is just where my mind is going during lockdown. It's uh, it's nothing. But um, I'll leave you with that. On that Thank bombshell. You, Neil. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll take all of your notes into fine consideration. So Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Neil. Um, I mean, think of the possibility, though, when uh, you might not be able to use citrus, but like all the other desserts you might be able to like, to make. Yeah, this is where I would I would certainly need um, a culinary expert to, uh, to to properly balance my menu uh, to uh, make make everyone's palate, uh, you know, wanting more when it comes to the dessert menu. We will. Uh, we were planning on talking a bit more about the uh, Dr. D. David Schultz edition of the show on Rewind a Smackdown, but uh, quickly, did you have any more thoughts on it for the time being? I mean, I, I mean, I liked the episode. It was, um, I throughout all of these, I always feel that the strength of these documentary uh, episodes from Dark Side have been when you have the reporters and journalists in there to kind of give you like that's always going to be kind of the way I'm navigating these are kind of the, the 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 factual roadmap of sometimes very complex stories like we got with the Jimmy Snuka story um, that with the Dino Bravo episode last week on this one. I mean, to me, it was by the end of it, like whatever your preconceived notion was, which I would think most would come into this with more of um, yeah, a, a certain view of David Schultz and a certain view of John Stossel. And I think if this is your introduction to this story, I think John Stossel came off very poor in this. And almost a, a, like very much in the like it's like certainly a guy that looks down upon pro wrestling, which is fine. I really don't have any kind of issue if like that's not you know you, you you're not a fan of what this industry is. But I just thought he came across very very cartoonish at times. I thought like a very like understood. Here is my little soundbite at the end, and I just think at the end of this, much like you know Paul's comment earlier was that. I think you can disagree with the tactic taken by Schultz, but your level of sympathy is probably reduced by the end of this for John Stossel. Yeah, nor do I feel like he was necessarily there to get your sympathy either. I mean, he seemed I, I, I'm always really curious to know how they were able to convince somebody like him, for instance, to to participate in something like this. But I'm I'm really glad he did because I, 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 I even while I might not feel that much sympathy for him, I also don't feel like he was in the wrong too much. Like he was there to do his job. He saw something that was a real injustice. And I think we have to take ourselves back to that time where, you know, um, I could see like a bit of nobility in trying to unearth this thing that, you know, um, he felt was basically unfairly, you know, duping its, its audience. Um, we now really appreciate and understand that as to be like, you know, part of the art form of it. But at the time, uh, I, I imagine it must have felt very different. Let's go. I, to the I, sorry. Let, let's yes. go. Go ahead. We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk more about uh, 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 the episode on Rewind and SmackDown. But let's go back to our phone lines right now. Vishnu, you're on the air. If you don't mind unmuting yourself, what's on your hey mind? Hey guys. Hey, can you hear me? 
Yes, we can. What's right up? Right on. Uh, hey, uh, Vish from Victoria. Yeah, so a couple things. Yeah, going back to the dark side of the ring, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I I mean, saying that you feel or feeling bad or not feeling bad for John Stossel is one thing, but the guy was a reporter. It was the 80s. He's doing a typical 2020 interview. I think Dr. D was put in a bad position. Think about it. He said that McMahon told him, if you believe what he said, McMahon told him, go out there, act like Dr. D., and he sends him into a volatile situation with a tabloid reporter. What do you think was going to happen? The mm-hmm. dude was either going to slap him and keep kayfabe alive in the 80s, or he wasn't, and his gimmick would have been dead. And I think Cornette made an interesting point too at the end, as much as you know, Cornette's all over the place. But in this case, he goes, well, even if Dr. D hadn't had done that, and it had gone on, and he had tried to get a career in WWE, with that type of mentality, how long would he have lasted? He would have found something else to beef about. He did, after after wrestling, have a decent career as a bounty hunter, it seemed like. So, I mean, he was ahead of his time. He was the first dog. So, I mean, I don't think I feel too bad for the guy, per se. Um, that's just my take on it. The, the other thing I was going to ask about, and I don't know how true this is, I saw some rumors this week that uh, Disney was interested in purchasing WWE or that WWE was even for sale. Seems to me like in an industry that, that who knows how long it can last or how long they can keep these numbers up, that it might be an opportune time to sell that company. McMahon getting older, do they really want Triple H as, as you know on the board, etc.? Uh, I'll leave you guys with that. Uh, good job. I love uh, listening to you guys during COVID season. And everyone stay safe and talk to you guys soon. Thank All you, right. Vish. Thank you, Vish. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I mean, that story was from a tweet from Dutch Mantel. So, I mean, you you kind of have to, um, I think, I think weigh the, uh, the source there of, you know, such a, a major story like that, which I mean, all due respect to to Dutch Mantel, like that's that's a massive story to just be sending out a tweet that you heard this. Um, uh, I I mean, I can't add any um, you know credibility to that to that story, whether it's legitimate or not. It's fun to think about. It's fun to to even you know discuss um, potential WWE Star Wars crossover. Would it make much sense right now for either side to be looking at that now that if you're Disney, you're looking at such a massive purchase at this point or WWE, are you at your most valuable now during this during this period uh, to sell on paper? It doesn't sound really um, uh, it doesn't sound very credible. Well, it just dep- I mean, it depends on on the numbers involved. Um, I can it, it, as hard as I think it is for us to picture of Vince McMahon giving up the reins on his, you know, baby to somebody else. I, I don't find I, that, that, that crazy to believe. Like I, the idea of Vince McMahon selling is not, um, I, I don't throw that out at all. Mm-hmm. That, that could ultimately happen. I just wonder in this current environment, are you getting your best value for it? And is Disney looking at, let's put it this way. Okay. If WWE seriously had any inclination that there would be a major conglomerate that would want to buy you out now, would that not give you the confidence to push through with the XFL for a Disney to outright buy a sports league for content two years down the road? Because I can see Mm -hmm. that being a lot more attractive on paper um, for, for a Disney uh, for content on ESPN plus to buy a viable spring football league. Um, 
Yeah, like, but but it's also not proven. I mean, you're getting a B B version, very 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 lower level version of something that people are, are already very satisfied with in the X, in the NFL, or you're going to get the NFL of this particular sport in in, in uh, the WWE. I I it, it certainly is harder for me to picture like WWE within the the Disney portfolio, just kind of given how uh, I don't know it it is somewhat violent. Um, it is, you know, not perhaps always, mm, So is UFC. The cleanest. Yeah. But are they buying the UFC? I mean, they're working with UFC. It's different than purchasing the company outright, isn't it? Uh, different, but I mean, they are the, you know, they're the, the U S distributor of their pay-per-views. I mean, that it's, it's mm-hmm. but it's not an ownership situation. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not out of the question. Uh, especially now anything is possible. Um, I, I, I suppose, uh, Part of me wouldn't wouldn't really be all that surprised, um, especially if you know it is something to help drive ESPN Plus. I think it would actually make a lot of sense. Let's go back to the phone lines, Patrick. You're on the air. Please unmute yourself. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, we can. What's up? Excellent. Thanks, guys. I, I didn't know if the video was working because I have my post in Toronto shirt on, but I don't know if oh. you guys. Can you guys um. Well, yeah, I think we can. Just give us a second here. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll load you right up. Perfect. Uh, what, what's on your mind? Well, I'm going to ask something entirely different. This isn't really a current question so much, but listening to you guys review of Saturday night's main event this week, I once heard, and this kind of goes back to the old Memphis style, that 90 minutes is the perfect time, perfect amount of time for a wrestling show. So do you guys think the WWE maybe missed the boat that when Raw went to three hours, it would have been an opportunity, maybe you have an angle where there's two GMs and there's a spat, and you basically have an artificial or another unofficial brand split to split Raw into two different shows. Oh, taking like the three-hour format and effectively putting two shows in right. three two, hours. Two 90-minute shows. Uh, I don't dismiss that idea at all. I think that one of the things that they have not been able to do enough, uh, and this was definitely, I thought, a strength of Nitro, was to try and differentiate the hours between each other, even if it was shaking up the announcers doing the the hard reset with the pyro and the nitro girls out at the top of the hour and teeing up what was to come in each hour that made it almost feel like, you know, three mini shows in this, in this hole. So uh, it's, it's not the the worst idea. Uh, Just what does that brand become when you still do have your, your two hour show on Friday? I think it's, um, I just think it's such a big undertaking that I, I wonder if they're really, they they can definitely do it. Um, I, I I guess it would just require such a big change that I I wonder if they they'd be willing to to undertake right now when I, I I feel like they're just trying to stay afloat with trying to to you know keep as much as as they they are producing. Right. I don't think you could do it now, but I'm thinking if had it been done before all this had happened. One other thing I wanted to touch on too, and I don't think this has been discussed. We know TV ratings are kind of taking a bath and partially because it's the no crowd and partially because everybody's watching news coverage of COVID. But do you think there's a chance that pay-per-view subs- pay-per-view buys actually get a bump? Because instead of having five guys coming together in a room to split on a pay-per-view, now everyone has to order it themselves. I don't know if you could gauge whether WrestleMania got a bump from that or not. But is that something that the companies maybe are leaning on? And I don't really follow UFC, but you guys can maybe comment on if Dana White probably has that thought process. You guys, I'll leave you with that one. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you, Pat. Thank um, you, Pat. 
you know, we we know that WrestleMania, I think, benefited from from that because of the free subscribers, that the number was the highest it's ever been for a WrestleMania that, you know, in theory, that tells me interest was was higher for WrestleMania and that people did want to see the show. But to me, ultimately, it's, it's having that sustained interest that is going to keep people for a money in the bank or buying a UFC. So I do feel this UFC pay-per-view will do well, um, but it, but it's also like a different it, it is a different terrain when you're asking people to spend, you know, $65 on a UFC pay-per-view in this economy. Are people um, going to be it's, – it's one thing to sign up for the WWE Network. It's another to spend $65. And AEW is going to experience that too where they're asking for a lot more than the cost of the month of the network. How much is the uh, – is double or nothing? They I, I haven't seen any prices for it, but I'm imagining it's going to be in line with what – past pay-per-views were for them. So it's, it's not going to be inexpensive. Um, when people it's, it's either going to be people that are, you know, they're up for watching a pay-per-view and they're interested in the show, or they're going to be watching their spending now. And, you know, a a $50 pay-per-view inside of an empty arena may not be as enticing as it would have been in a, in a normal setting. Mm -hmm. Hanzi, you're on the air. What's going on? Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, I'm glad to be joined by the, uh, you know, joined uh, into the Bleeding Heart Liberal Club right here. Uh, I, I just watched your SNA main event review, so I just, yeah. I, whatever you guys do, exactly the reviews, right. I, I I watch it, I, those promos always crack me up. I, I mean, you guys, everyone covered basically the the Stossel thing, but I'll I'll just leave it with a random question. I know, Paul, like you're like an Observer subscriber from, from back in the day, right? And on Reddit, they have these Observer rewinds uh, that like they just sum up like what the Observer was talking about. And I wasn't getting the Observer in December of 84 when this happened. Oh, no, 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 not, not, not 84. I, I was going to move up to the own heart stuff, whatever, right? I, I know this is random, but I, I just wanted to get you because maybe you have some insight on this maybe. There was talk in this in, in these Observer Wines that there was this document that uh, Martha Hart had and that um, that I think uh, Ellie Hart faxed to WWE. And this document apparently could have, like, done some real damage to WWE, which is why they settled out of that. Do you think in this upcoming one, like in the season finale, will that come into a play? I was going to ask you about John Stossel and all that, but I, I, every, a lot of callers already touched upon what I was going to say, so I just thought I would ask you, do you think that that will be covered? Because that was actually an interesting thing that I saw in those Observer Wines, that they basically, like like the the, the, the lawyer, Jerry McDevitt, um, basically got a hold of this document, and we don't know what the document was, and then that's what, what made WWE kind of settle out of court with Martha Hart. So I was just wondering, like, if you, because I know you're an Observer subscriber of all that, like, do, do, you, do you have any recollection of that, or... Uh, is that is that one that's just going to be overseen? Basically, like, will that just be glossed over in this next doc in the documentary, in the season finale? Basically, no. I mean, there there was a document, and it was uh, and it was it was sent to WWE by by members of the family uh, because it was a really nasty split within the Hart family while that whole thing was going on. And Martha, as I recall, details it in her book. And um, I, I should recall this because it was. Uh, I'm pretty sure I covered it in that documentary I did last year as well, um, the exact uh, uh, specifics about um, the document. But it definitely existed, and I would expect it'll be in the in the dark, covered in the dark side. That like this isn't just some speculation that it it definitely did exist. Okay, but that's I cool. 
I just can't that's... remember off the top of my head the the exact specifics of of the signed document. Yeah, no, I, I was originally going to call in about the Stossel stuff, but I know you guys are going to talk about it on SmackDown review, and enough callers called in, so I just wanted to like ask about this because this one's been on my mind for a while. I, I I know you touched upon it in the documentary. I just I couldn't remember it from like last year or whatever. But again, guys, good work as usual. Uh, nice talking to you. Uh, I always enjoy this time of the week when I, I get to talk to you guys for like at least five minutes or so. So uh, thank you again for letting me on, man. Thank you, Anzi. So um, I've been trying to look up the price of Double or Nothing, and it's just it seems to vary across the board. We've got Doug Greenwood in the uh, chat room right now saying that he's in the UK. He bought Double or Nothing last night for nineteen ninety nine US dollars. Um, John Ceno is on BR Live and looking at Double or Nothing being priced at fifty dollars. I'm on Fight TV in Canada, and it yeah, what is does being, it say there? Being advertised for thirty nine ninety nine US. So it just seems to wildly vary, um, maybe depending on where you are or what service you're using. But um, that seems to be the range. Yeah, so that's, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, like that's what I was expecting it to be in the, you know, $40 or so range that, I mean, they are, like the reason they're running this pay-per-view is it's, you know, I, I don't think it necessarily makes a lot of sense for them to run a pay-per-view and discount it to 10 bucks or something like that. Um, they're running this pay-per-view with the hope of doing, I would imagine they have to kind of reduce expectations of what double or nothing would have been projected to do. Um, because I just can't imagine the same level of business, uh, for a typical AEW pay-per-view when they run this, uh, May 23rd. If we can assume perhaps a main event of something like a, uh, on the level of a Chris Jericho versus Matt Hardy, uh, perhaps, you know, um, the, the, the uh, dust or Cody versus Lance Archer, and something involving John Moxley, are those strong enough main and semi-mains to I, justify that price? I, like, listen, I, I think there's going to be a core that will buy this. Like, I think it'll be, this is, um, but on paper, um, I don't know. It really is contingent in, on in how well they effectively build this up. Like Jericho and Matt Hardy, it is a, it's a pretty fresh matchup with a, with Matt Hardy in a, in a new environment. Uh, John Moxley, I think a lot will be based on what you have in store for him. Uh, they're kind of teasing Omega and Paige with best friends after Wednesday night. Like they were really pushing the best friends on this win streak. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the Bucks having some kind of involvement. Um, is the revival involved in this? Um, you know, those are kind of the questions. But, you know, if you were to believe that double or nothing under normal circumstances, let's just throw out the figure of 90,000 buys. Like where where and it's hard to say because the next three weeks of television are going to make uh, are going to be people's deciding factor of whether they buy this show or not. But to me, like I I would be narrowing that by by a significant margin of w- what to expect. Like I would say if if you're projecting ninety and you end up with sixty, I, I think you take that as like you know uh, a good sign because. Uh, these empty arena shows to me, it's like, that's a real tough ask of people when they've been watching these and there is less interest in the product uh, across the board. And now, you know, you want to spend however much it's going to be on your provider for this, for this pay-per-view. Yeah. My gut would be less, um, you know, we've seen viewership take a hit. We've, um, we're talking about, you know, economy now where a lot of people are, are a lot more careful about their spending on luxury items, such as something like this. So uh, it, it would make sense to me if projections are going to be lower. 
And what what streaming is going to have in terms of an impact on this pay-per-view in this climate more so than a traditional pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, it should... Do do you see AEW doing any sort of like B level pay per views like they've done in the past? You know, in the form of like a Fighter Fest or or a Fight for the Fallen. I mean, they haven't done any of those since the, since they got television. Uh, mm-hmm. It's only been major pay per views, and I think that that's the better way to go about that. We don't like what when WWF expanded and they introduced those in your house events, the idea was, okay, we can get people to buy these pay-per-views monthly. And the draw is that they're cheaper, they're shorter, but the audience just took them as these are not a level shows and they're that much more skippable. And it was once they were kind of put on a closer tier as the big shows where they were three hours and they were the same value and price that you saw buys go up. So to me, when you're asking people for to to pay for a pay-per-view, I think AEW really wants to put a premium on those shows feeling special and important and not just um, a, a level below your your big four pay-per-views that you're putting out each year. Mm-hmm. We uh, are going to stick around waiting for the NXT AEW ratings this week. But if you have a call, anything that's on your mind, call us right now on Skype at Post Wrestling. We have a bit more time for you guys. Um, and can you talk a bit what else is coming up on uh, the, 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 the site this week? So uh, if – you do want to check out some of the interviews that we have up th- this week. We were talking about the John Moxley interview that you can download. Also, Andrew Thompson did a 30-minute chat with Christian, uh, a.k.a. Jay Riso, about his role as both uh, an on-screen uh, performer and a executive producer on this Cage Fighter film that's uh, going to be coming out May 16th on Fight. And uh, he goes into a lot about Christian's career, discussing uh, the Hall of Fame, the Un-Americans run, going to TNA, Edge's return, uh, a really thorough interview that Andrew did. So I wanted to make mention of that. And then looking ahead to the next couple of days, Friday, we'll have a new British wrestling experience with Martin, Benno, and Jamesy uh, chatting all the latest news, as well as the latest Riptide event called The Storm that they will review. Uh, Friday night, Wayne and I are back with Rewind to SmackDown, which will include our review of the latest Dark Side of the Ring. And then Sunday, WH Park returns for post pro res where we're going to discuss uh, the all Japan show that I've seen most of by this point that aired this morning. And we're going to do a review of the great Sasuke documentary uh, that came out a few years ago, but it's now up on YouTube for free to watch. And was actually, I did uh, embed it in Wednesday's update. If you want to go check this out uh, about great Sasuke from uh, this film came out in 2013. Did you watch it already? I did watch it. Yeah. Quick, good, bad, middle. I think it's a real interesting um, look at great Sasuke and more so the focus of those around him as he has this um, obsession, I would say, with professional wrestling and the performance aspect of it uh, coupled with uh, politics. And it's interesting to hear from his children, from his wife and those around him um, as he is getting older. The injuries are piling up and yet he is still – just has this this obsession with this with, with wrestling, and it's also you know looking in hindsight that you know he is he continues to wrestle. Any karaoke? There was no karaoke in this, um, but certainly is a man like you get to see him like on the street as he's campaigning. Uh, this was for the election back in uh, back a couple of years ago, the one that he lost when he was not with the Liberal Party, but was an independent and, you know, just not getting a whole lot of traction. 
And then he's talking about like just gimmicks to come up with, like being more of a showman. And you're just seeing him just try and throw ideas at the wall. And it's not all that different to juxtapose. He's promoting this big anniversary show while at the same time trying to get voters to vote for him and kind of the overlap between tactics of selling yourself to a public. The guy in a mask. Oh, wants yeah. To be more of a showman. Yes. Yeah. You know, he needs to get a, a, a nicer car and be more cocky. And, you know, this was it, 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 for me, it was one of the biggest like Japan moments in my lifetime being in Tokyo. One of the first times that I was ever there and being down in the Tokyo subway system, my brother pointing out this this weirdo in a mask looking at a magazine at a newsstand. And I recognized the mask immediately as Sasuke's. And lo and behold, it was Mr. Great Sasuke himself. Um, so I've had that experience and I, I, I would say I was, the man was plenty charismatic just, just on appearance alone. Let's, yeah, I look forward to, to the review, John. And let's go to the, uh, the guy who christened the show post Perez, Brandon from New Jersey. You're on the air. Please unmute yourself. What's up? Hello. 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 Hey, what's up? What's going on? man? What's going on? I'm excited for the return of Post Perez, man. I am too. In, in fact, um, John, is there? I wonder if there's going to be an announcement for perhaps a the first ever piece of Post Perez merchandise on this show. <laughs> there may be such an announcement, and it comes with a laugh track, just like this. Uh, this is uh, the newly Post show with uh, with our laugh track, Brandon from New Jersey. We may also have the first ever Post Perez contest. So tune in on Sunday for that. Poster as a contest. Wow. A contest, yes. Are, are you going to make it to Sunday, Brandon? I don't know if you're going to make it to 4.30. <laughs> oh, man. I hope I do, man. Why, why would I? I don't know. You're just uh, – this is, this is a new record for you. I mean you're just uh, – I haven't even gotten to the comedy yet. Um, but nonetheless, uh, what's on your mind, Brandon? Uh, yeah. Uh, so So – you guys are talking about Dark Side of the Ring, and uh, uh, I love it. I, I I wasn't really fond of uh, this week's episode. I mean, Doctor D look he he kind of looked like Sid, right? Um, Sid a little, yeah. He's I always kind of looked. They shared a. I can see that comparison. He's got some years on Sid, but um, he, he kind of looked like a mix of Sid and someone at a Trump rally. You know, he looked more to me like the Kevin Nash um, impersonation of Sid. You remember that when he dressed up as Sid and then like Sid did the I got half the brain that you do promo. <laughs> I do remember that. That's, that's, that's an all time classic for Brandon, I'm sure. <laughs> on that night, girl. The glorious. But yeah, um, my favorite episode so far has been, uh, I mean, Dino Bravo ones. Uh, that, that, that one was awesome. Uh, that was the year I, I started to fall in love with the, uh, the Fleur de Lis uh, and, and the Quebec Nordiques when, uh, when, uh, Dino used to rock the the, the outfit like that. Uh, why no, that, why Nordiques over Canadians? Oh, because uh, uh, Peter Forsberg uh, when he was on the uh, after the uh, after the Lindros trade. Were you a Sackick oh. fan? Oh, I love Joe Sackick, uh, but I but I, I like Simon and Mike Ricci. <laughs> I, I I love my my grinders and goons so, on on the squad, but Chris Simon was awesome. But anyway, uh, yeah, uh, that was the first time seeing Pat Prada. I didn't know he was French. Uh, I thought he was from Lynchburg, Virginia, because uh, my friend BC, he's from, uh, he's, he's got the same last name, and he's from uh, 
<laughs> the Virginia area. Yeah, it's it's really hard to tell from all of Pat's work that he's uh, that he's from <laughs> Quebec. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it, it really, the, the 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 why I'm really calling this because uh, the the episode that uh, was better than that one with the uh, before Dino Bravo eclipsed it was the uh, the New Jack one because uh, I myself had an encounter with New Jack back in '97. Oh, please tell us your encounter with New Jack and how you survived it. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, it was Heat Wave 97. I'll be brief. Uh, we were waiting in line at the ECW arena. And uh, so uh, those days, it's like first come, first serve with tickets uh, to sit anywhere. It, and uh, <laughs> so there's a cheesesteak place like around the ECW arena. And my friends decided they're like, OK, well, can you can you wait on our spot? and We'll get food for you and uh, and whatnot. So they left to get uh, the, the cheesesteaks and whatnot. And where, where I was waiting in line at, there's like a, a side entrance where uh, I guess the personnel would come in and out, set up the ring. And uh, this is foreshadowing. So uh, anyway, uh, I'm, I'm sitting there and I have a boom box. And uh, it's not my boom box. It was my friend who, who left to get said sandwiches while I was waiting in line. And, he, and there was a tape and it was being played. On the tape was a, a, a pay-per-view of an ECW show. I, I was just listening to it. So I'm sitting there listening to it. All of a sudden, the door is opening, and I didn't hear a close that I was waiting near. And this gentleman <laughs> pulls up next to me, and he was like, do we got a problem? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what, what do you mean? And I look up, and it's New Jack. He was like, oh, we got a problem. Cause he, he, and then he started accusing me of bootlegging because I was listening to an ECW show, and he started cursing at me. And in the process, his big foot, crushes the boombox and, and i'm looking at the boombox getting destroyed and i'm like oh my god this, this is really happening and all of a sudden spike dudley and all the personnel pull him away and, as he's cursing at me uh, because he thought i was bootlegging an ecw tape so his and, expectation was that he was going to get a royalty from you on the spot for this bootlegged what cassette that had the audio of a pay-per-view on it correct and, and, and i'm getting cursed at <laughs> And all of a sudden, my friends pull up and start laughing at me. I mean, it wasn't your boombox. So, I mean, was the owner laughing at you? Because that definitely is the joke on him. Yes, my friend Steve uh, had a, it was a hoot for him that I got absolutely pillared by New Jack. Wow. It sounds well, like a like a supervillain origin story is what this sounds like. <laughs> I just love the idea that your friend was able to not splurge for the VHS of this one, but needed it in cassette form to travel with this pay-per-view in a boombox just for these memories of said ECW pay-per-view of the past. Nonetheless, it was a good show. And I, I have I have one thing to say to New Jack. Fuck you. Dark wow. side of the ring, Brandon from New Jersey. Um I love you guys. Thank you, Brandon. Thank, thank you, you Brandon. for that story. Um well there there you have it everybody. Uh a boombox with an ECW pay-per-view on it that was uh, totaled by New Jack. The ironic part would be that stomping that boombox, I doubt it damaged the cassette. It probably, the cassette probably <laughs> made its way out of that boombox and was preserved while the boombox uh, met its demise under his boot. Well, the boombox, I'm sure, cost way more than than the cassette did. So I didn't think the that, that ring could get any, any darker. But there we go. An even darker side of the ring. Thank you, Brandon, for that. That was yeah, New Jack's. Uh, that would that would be bigger than that night at Heat Wave. He he won the tag titles that night 
with Mustafa. But I mean, the real victory was getting one over on Brandon from New Jersey. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, man, we, uh, we still await the ratings right now for AEW and NXT. Um, at this point, John, like how, how invested are you still in on like, you know, what these numbers are? I, I think they're greatly, um, diminished at this point. Like I think with the television numbers, I'm more so looking at like the bigger picture of where these numbers are trending now more so than week to week indications of, of what's hitting, what's not hitting. I think we know that especially AEW and NXT are kind of in this, um, in this range that we can expect in, you know, between 650 and 750. I think that's the range I expect them in. And if they exceed or come below that range, I think it's, uh, you note it, but Again, I, I don't put too much focus onto any one week. It's more so the bigger picture of the audience lost during this period. And conversely, like what happens to that 13, 14% uh, once we get back to things. And do you like, I don't think it's something where you just flip a switch and those people are back week one. I think that's going to be a longer, um, a, a longer, you know, convincing period to get people back once you break that routine. Neil brought up a great point earlier about how much the news is taking a, a chunk out of everything. And uh, certainly, you know, with everything on the top of our minds, the news is, is going to be way more important than an empty arena wrestling show. But once the news is sort of like, you know, like calm down, where will we be at? Um, again, it's, it, it is such a, such a lucky scenario that the WWE has, you know, they happen to be at the very beginning of this TV deal where they don't, like if there's a ton to have to weather the storm of like a pandemic, basically kind of wiping out 15, 16% of your audience, it would be the beginning of all this. Doesn't, doesn't that fly in the argument that is constantly being said that we want to provide a distraction for you, yet the majority of people in like enormous numbers are seeking like direct information from this. They are not looking for a distraction from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose if you did want reality that uh, you would go directly to the news. I really feel like there's a happy medium where you 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 want to provide entertainment ultimately, but also I think there's a way to do it without making people completely feel like you're just totally ignoring and pretending something that doesn't exist. Yeah, well, we will see. Um, you know, I, I don't think I don't see any of this turning around. Like, I think it's just simply um, mitigating the loss and seeing what is the low number. Like with Raw, I mean, they're getting very close to um, the, the lowest number that they have done in their modern history. So that's that's kind of the what everyone would assume is kind of the, the floor of this whole thing. Uh, but it's very hard to say when we're looking at you know the idea of months and months of no fans at these shows uh what 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 long-term impact does this have or is this something that people are just simply going to be um tuning out but when things return to normal so will their viewing habits um i am seeing the uh number come up here that uh dynamite did six hundred and ninety-three thousand. uh still awaiting on a number from nxt so uh 693 would be uh down from last week for aew who uh did 735 but kind of in the range of what they had been doing prior to last week over the last uh four weeks aew uh that number not being out might not necessarily be indicative of any, anything but do you expect them to crack the top 50 uh which is that nxt sorry nxt yes um 
you know, they they've kind of uh, hovered it. Um, uh, Raj Giri here from uh, Wrestling Inc. is saying that uh, NXT did not finish in the in the top 50 here. So I'm just okay. looking at this. So it looks like um, only AEW charted. OK, so, yeah, maybe that's as much as we might get for the time being. Do you expect any kind of um, a bump next week on NXT side? Do you feel that putting a loaded show is going to like is is there that much of a swing audience that is um, that NXT has the ability to, you know, add 75,000 viewers next week, for instance? Or is it uh, kind of like this is your core you're working from? Well, I mean, it was really only like two weeks ago when they were in the lead, wasn't it? They were doing I mean, they've done. The last the last couple of weeks, okay, from April eighth on, they did six ninety three, six ninety two, six sixty five. So I mean, okay. relatively close, right? Uh, yeah, I don't see things changing all that much, to be honest. Uh, NXT but, six six thirty seven, six thirty seven for NXT. It finished fifty first, fifty first. So right, hovering there uh, again. AEW six ninety three point two seven in the prime demo, and then uh, NXT. What what do you have right there? NXT did six hundred thirty-seven Okay, so there we go. Uh, those are your ratings notes. So I think we can uh, wind things down uh, at this point as we have uh, gotten the results here. AEW finishing sixteenth on the night, and it's pretty much um, you know the majority of it was uh, they had a few non-news programs uh, above them, but a lot of news uh, taking up those top fifteen slots. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on a, I would say, a pretty technically perfect edition of the Cafe Hangout. Wouldn't you say so, John? I think we we navigated the waters pretty well this week. I was too nervous to book a guest this week, but uh, we will see how ambitious we get next week. But uh, this went relatively smoothly from uh, from last week. Thank you, everybody, for your calls. We had a lot of you guys this week. And... Uh, Please prepare your questions for next week. And in fact, if you don't want to even call in, prepare your questions for the Ask Away thread. John and I will be back next week on Tuesday with our latest edition of Ask Away. So uh, get your questions in right now. Thanks, everybody, for uh, tuning in. And we'll speak with you Friday on Rewind to SmackDown.